one of the things that spending time on Wall Street taught me is the intuition of telling the difference between a good advisor, a good financial advisor, and a clown, a cartoon. And you'd be shocked as to how many of them are out there. Ever since the start of the show and for the last many years, I've been in search of uh, great financial advisors, sharp financial minds who not only do it well for themselves, but also do a good job advising clients. And uh, today I'm excited to share with you one such mind, Chad Willardson. Chad is the author of the book, Stress-Free Money, and also a the founder of Pacific Capital. And today we talk about a lot of very cool things. We talk about, you know, literally what is the process you go through to set the right financial goals. We talk about financial fast food. Uh, a very important part of this topic is focusing on the wrong number, the big fat, I want to be, you know, I want to have a $55 million net worth before I'm 55. Uh, thinking about how biased salespeople work and understanding risk and structuring. I like having several conversations in the financial sector with good financial minds who allow me to think about the healthy way to not just invest our money, but to think about our life and uh, create great results for the financial bloodline of our family. I think you'll really like today's perspective in this cool, calm, and smooth demeanor of Chad Woolerton, and it starts right now. One thing is for certain. Just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to. How to grow your business. How to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. So Chad, thanks so much for uh, being with us. And while I was getting ready for today, you know, I thought about the, the lot of things that entrepreneurs do every single day, which is they wake up in the morning and they think about how do I grow my business? How do I do more? How do I be more? How do I achieve more? And they don't realize that a lot of times that this, the money is a, a really great foundational thing that they all work for, but they just think that they'll just grow more to make all of it work. And so I know you advise tons of entrepreneurs. When, you, when you're talking to an entrepreneur, uh, generally what ends up being kind of the first conversation you have? First conversation is what we call a goals conversation. And just before we're starting this podcast, I had one with an entrepreneur, pretty cool, actually in Switzerland. Uh, LinkedIn connection of mine owns a consulting firm. Uh, they're, they're growing 30% a year. They're, they're probably valued just under 80, 90 million right now. And he's, he, like many of our clients for business owners, they're, they're really just so focused on growing their business that everything else seems less important. Right. You know, there's, they're so busy. They're so focused on it. It's like nothing else. I'll, I'll put everything else off because I've got to, continue to reinvest and grow in my business. And I think the point of realization comes when they say, you know what, all that stuff that I said I was going to do, I've grown my business a lot. I'm earning more money, but I haven't really set a foundational plan in place. I'm still kind of just running as fast as I can on the treadmill. When do I stop, take a step back and really get some strategic planning in place, not just for my business, but also especially 
for me personally. I think that's, that's what a lot of people come in and say, you know what, I'm ready to really step back and think about everything big picture and then get some more plan, you know, some more specific strategies and, and things in place. Yeah. I, and, and maybe, maybe we can go into the psychology of this because it, it seems like it seems more freeing to talk to an advisor about how to grow a business and people hire consultants. Um, mm-hmm. I advise a bunch of entrepreneurs all the time. They're very open with, Hey, here are business financials. Right. Here are the metrics we're hitting. Here's a dashboard. They're less vulnerable about that. And, but, but seems like it's hard for folks to be, to actually have the personal, personal kind of uh, financial foundation conversation. Why is that? Sometimes people are maybe embarrassed. They feel like they should be further along than they are. Other times I think people are intimidated or they're, or there's a lack of trust. That's a great reason. I mean, there, our industry is very low on the trust level. Hmm. So, and I think there are many reasons for that. One of the reasons is Wall Street likes to keep it complicated. I know you've worked <laughs> on Wall Street and the big firms, and I was at Merrill Lynch for nine years. So, I mean, it, it's it's complicated on purpose in some ways. And there's a lot of a lot of salespeople out there that get compensated by just making a transaction. And so we've all felt that. So we're a little bit leery of like, well. I tell this person all my stuff and then they're going to recommend this and then they're going to pressure me and follow up a bunch and try to get me to buy this fund or do this policy insurance policy. And and so people are just hesitant. I think overall that they're a little jaded from what I've seen. And and that's a real challenge to overcome. I, I think the complexity issue is I don't know anything about cars. And so if I go into an auto mechanic, they could tell me I need a hundred dollar repair or a $5,000 repair. And honestly, I wouldn't know the difference. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So people with their money, there's a little bit of that where they know their business really well, but they may not know everything about the financial world as well. And so they're just, they don't want to be taken advantage of. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, you know, I even, um, I've had so many people tell me uh, over the years, after knowing, after the relationship, personal relationship has been around for a while, they have no problem saying, hey, Sharon, you know, and exactly the words you used. I think I should be further along. Right. Um, but I'm, all, and they always started with this. I think I should be further along than I am, or I'm kind of embarrassed to, that this is, or outwardly it looks like this, but it's actually this way. Mm. And um, I think it's hard, especially in a, say, even in a newer relationship, newer financial advisory relationship. Uh, to, to start to have that conversation because you feel somewhat guarded. And, right. and so if you were talking to that entrepreneur who feels like, Hey, I am somebody who should, I think I should be further along than I am, or Hey, I'm somebody who is somewhat embarrassed right now for whatever reason, because they're their own personal standards. Or uh, if you were talking to that person, he or she right now, like how could you, what would you tell them to inspire them to, to, to at least like, flick a switch in their head to say, Hey, it's okay. Like, you know, yeah. there is a first step. There's nothing you can do to change the past. And, and really we can only take what we have right now and move towards your goals. And we're not here to judge you. So I'm not here to judge where you should be or shouldn't be. Or, uh, you know, you, you lease some kind of extremely expensive Ferrari and you're embarrassed by that or something. I don't know. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you. Our team is here to help you get, to your goals as quickly as possible. And so 
progress, I think the quote is progress begins with telling the truth and looking at the facts. And so if you're going to a doctor to get full on, you want to totally transform your health. You've got to step on the scale. You've got to get the blood pressure test. You've got to do those things so that the doctor knows what's, what's going on with your body and how he can help you. And that's the same with us. Yeah. Um, There is a, you know, the, the, I, I like the, you know, you got to step on the scale analogy, right? Like sometimes you just, you just have to step on the scale. Step on the scale. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, if you don't like the numbers, you got to step on it. Um, is there, is there a, uh, maybe take a, well, let's talk for a minute about this goal setting stuff. And I think that when people run their businesses, I, I love comparing it to their businesses because people do it every single day. When people run right. their businesses, they are less intimidated setting these big audacious goals, or even uh, they have a plan for, but they they have no problem goal setting in their business. And it's super fast. It's just a very fascinating thing that, Hey, I want uh, more time. I want, I want, you know, more leverage. I want more revenues. I want less bothersome clients. They're able to like articulate Mm -hmm. their goals so much more uh, with so much more specificity on their, on their business side. Uh, Have you encountered folks that, when you ask for the personal goals conversation, it's fairly ambiguous. And, and when that happens, like what hap- Like what do you do there? I've run into it four to six times a day for <laughs> 19 years. <laughs> so uh, whether the client, whether the person I'm talking to is net worth is a hundred thousand or a hundred million, the issue of not having clear and specific goals is something that can always be improved. That's actually, I'll I'll plug the book here, Stress-Free Money here. But I talk about overcoming the seven obstacles to find financial freedom. The very first obstacle is no clear goals. That's exactly how I start the book because that's the the most common obstacle I see. Zig Ziglar quote, you can't hit a target you cannot see and you cannot see a target you do not have. And I, I talk about, you know, some of these interviews, I talk about the analogy of going on a huge vacation because my wife and I like to travel a lot, right? So if you're going to pack a suitcase and you go to your closet and you don't know where you're going on vacation, you don't know how long you're going to be there and you don't know what you're going to do there, how in the world do you know what to pack in the suitcase? Like yeah. You have no clue. And yet that's how most people approach their financial life. They don't know, they don't have clear destination, timeline, experiences, lifestyle, costs, any of that. So that therefore, how do you even know what financial decisions to make? There's no context. So they're just kind of, well, I heard this from my friend and he's pretty smart. And, (laughs) oh, my neighbor has lots of money and and they bought this stock. So I should do that. And, oh, well, so-and-so got rich off of uh, commercial real estate. So I'm just going to do some commercial real estate investing because that obviously worked for him. There's no context. So people are making decisions in silos. And then they end up with this big, uh, non-integrated, basically uncorrelated mess of financial decisions they've collected over the last 10, 15, 30 years. And it's like, I have all this stuff, uh, but I don't really know what it means and how it helps me. Yeah, yeah. And that's how most people come to us, that they've made these decisions all this time, but they don't have one coordinating plan that keeps the strategy together which they can rely on and reference when they're making choices. Like, should I invest in this? Should I borrow for this? If I want to buy this, should I sell the company at this level or should I just keep taking the income? So many decisions people make just in a vacuum. And I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. Um, 
I want to I want to tell you a, a, a quick story and get your feedback on it because I'm seeing a lot more of this in kind of today's uh, you know watch jets and yachts on social media world right which mm-hmm. is which is so mm-hmm. fascinating. So I was recently at a um, probably like a year ago pre COVID at a friend's house. And he's done, we've done some business deals together and both on his, like on a chat on his phone, like on the back screen paper, wallpaper of his, on his phone and um, on like a poster on his wall, on the screensaver on his computer, he had this 55 slash 55. And I was like, I generally don't like to press things like that because they're personal for people. But I see a lot of, I saw it in multiple places and I had done right. had business dealings. I'm like, hey man just if you don't mind me asking and you can say give him the permission to say no mm-hmm. don't mind me asking like what is this 55 slash 55 and he says to me chad he's like well uh and he's 41 right and he says to me chad uh sharon it's uh, i, I want to have a 55 million dollar net worth before i'm 55. Mm. i say okay why he's like well um you know that's that's my visioning i go okay I was like, I'm just curious, like, let's say you don't hit it until you're 56. He's right. like, well, I guess that's okay. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. Then why does it matter? Right. And then he's like, well, I'm like, I'm not dissuading you from your goals. When was the last time you hit, um, like made had a million dollar a year? He's like, I've never had a million dollar a year. Mm. Like, okay. So I didn't want to press it, but right. I, I think it's, in, and, and we're not in the business of dissuading or uh, making people stunt that that goal i'm actually super glad that he had that much of specificity associated with it but when someone comes like walks into your office and says well hey i'm 41 and i want to have a 55 million dollar net worth before i'm 55 whether it seems rational or not uh i actually think a lot of that's like extremely exacerbated by like today's social media especially like i get i you probably do i get direct messages from kids all over the place saying hey um, i want to be a i want to be a billionaire and i'm like Dude, you're 16. Like, right. that's cool. But, you know, I, and I, the last thing I want to do is, you know, crush someone's dreams. So if I know that it's not our jobs to judge, but I'm asking you for some coaching here. If I, if someone walks in and, and has shared this goal or the, it right. seems, it seems like a BHAG, how do you, is this a, how do you approach it? And is this a time where you say, okay, well, let's build a plan for it. Or what's kind of like your process for going through that? Two things. Number one, I always, all of our questions that our team ask in the initial goals conversation are followed up with a so that, similar to your why questions. So if someone says, I want to have 20,000 a month in rental real estate income, I want to know why. So we're going to say, so that what? Oh, I don't know. I just heard that that's like a good amount to have and passive income and this and that. It, it doesn't really make sense. So we're going to we're going to push people to give us the why. And frankly, once they identify the why, they're more motivated to actually reach the goal anyway. So we go to so that and, and eventually like we had someone we said eventually we got to so that I'm not worried about taking care of my special needs daughter in my old age because I know the medical costs are going to skyrocket. And I just want to have, if I lose my job or something happens to me, I want to have some investments that pay this much a month because she'll never have to worry about her medical care. And man, that's motivating. I mean, you could feel that in the heart because he had a goal to say, my special needs daughter is going to be taken care of no matter what. Uh, The second point I would say is you're focused on the wrong number. Okay, this $55 million net worth is, it's meaningless. 
And chapter, I'll go back to the book here. Chapter, chapter three, obstacle three, focusing on the wrong number. That's literally the chapter. So it, it talks about the two things that people all focus on. Number one, just the total, the total value of your financial accounts or your net worth, either one. That's a wrong number. That does, that's, that's not as meaningful. That's just like a scorecard for someone's ego. Secondly, it's the ROI. What was my return last year? What was my return this quarter? Oh, I got 11%. Oh, I got 15. Oh, I got nine. What's my return? When really, I, what I talk about in the book is the number you got to be focusing on is your cash flow. Money going in, money coming in, money going out. So the two reasons to invest are because you want to get cash flow now or you want to get cash flow later. If it's cash flow later, you've got to grow your investments. You're in growth phase, you're in accumulation phase, right? So you're building. So at some point you can turn on that faucet and start taking income out or you're an income now investor. That's different. So I really think the, the total net worth, like you said, the social media focus of just like, oh, I've got to have this net worth or I need to have 5 million or 10 million or whatever the number is. It's not that meaningful. Uh, we've got to look at what you're doing in your life, what your goals are, what, what the purpose is, and how much does it cost? Like, where's that cash flow coming in so that you can be comfortable? Really, financial freedom is the absence of worry about money. So the absence of worry about money comes when that cash flow is positive and your passive income far exceeds your expenses. That's it's really that simple. Yeah, dude, that's 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 so good. Um, I I have this this you know, I call this, um, when, you know, when you're in my time at Goldman, one of my mentors told me, he goes, all these entrepreneurs who have built these crazy successful businesses don't have a money coach. And I said, well, what do you mean by money coach? He's like, no, 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 not the kind of person that tells them what to do with their money. Not the kind of tells the person that tells them where to spend and how not to spend and where to invest. And I was like, well, well, what then? He goes, it was an amazing thing, Chad. He said, most of these entrepreneurs don't have anybody that they can open up to and mm -hmm. just um, just talk about freely about money. Oh, so true. And yeah. and and he was telling me he's like Sean, and and he kind of mentored me in the business, and he's like Sean, let's when we go into meetings, like when I ask, when you ask a question to you know one of the people, like say the say the spouse, say the wife, and look at the husband's face. There's most often a lot of times there is incongruency. Mm -hmm. It's so much that even partners, let even True. like even business partners, they're like, oh my gosh, if we're not equal partners, right. uh, let's say Chad 70%, Sharon's 30%, we got a ten thousand dollar gain. Now Chad's thinking, well, if I got seven thousand, she's Sharon gonna be feel weird that he's only gonna get three thousand. Like he goes, this these games are insane. And if someone can just talk, if you have a forum to talk about money freely, that itself becomes a lot more familiar and less stressful. And, and kind of what are your thoughts around, around that? That's a great point, Sharon. That really is actually. Um, I know that often people, clients have confided in me and basically said like, because I say, look, celebrate your wins and brag to us. We love it. Like we're celebrating you. We're, we're excited for your wins. And like you said, oftentimes they have no one that they can really brag and celebrate with. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're concerned because they're already making a lot of money and they don't want the perception to be the wrong way, the reputation to be hurt. So they kind of have to keep it close to the best. And I think you're right, though. 
that that ability to just talk freely about money, to be vulnerable, to really ask questions, to admit they don't know it all, maybe. It really opens up a lot of possibilities, exploring opportunities and thinking about how they can improve. Because also what people don't like to do who are successful is admit big money mistakes. Yeah. And so it's important they recognize and learn from mistakes, but they don't, that's not something they want to be public. Right. It's not something they want all their, their social circle to know that they made a really bad and financial or investment decision, but that's something that we can help with. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this one story very quickly. This happened two days ago. Uh, one of my friends I've known a while and um, reached out, you know, you know, reaches out from time to time and, you know, have the 10 second conversation or the yes or no question reaches out to me and says, Hey, Sharon, you won't believe this. Um, I had my first hundred thousand dollar month. And uh, like, I literally, I like Chad, like I, I, I shed a tear of joy. It, it just came out naturally knowing, mm-hmm. knowing his personal situation. And he, and he was really nice. He's like, I could not have done it without you. All of that was secondary to me. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I learned, the first thing I asked him was like, who else have you told? Mm-hmm. Right. And he's like, you, I told you first. And I go, that's fascinating that you told me first. Right. And, and, and not one, I'm super grateful, but we got to have a tighter, healthier money circle, my friend. It's <laughs> you true. Know? It's uh, true. So, so given that, um, I, a lot of folks, why, why do a lot of folks, you know, want to go at this themselves? I, I think people will rather hire a personal trainer to get healthier than they would mm-hmm. hire a financial advisor to just sure. to walk them down the right path. And, I, and how much of it, so, so first philosophically, and then maybe tactically, philosophically, like, why do you think that, you know, if someone does not have a, someone that's advising them on the, on the finances in their lives, like, wh- why is that? Is it, is it more like, I can take care of it, I don't want to share it? Like, why is that psychologically? And then maybe we can go into like, how do you hire one? I think I go back to the trust factor. That's got to be part of it, in my opinion. Um, just They just maybe haven't met someone or a team that they feel totally comfortable with. And then others may think, you know, there's so much information available out there that I don't really need any help. I, I can learn enough by reading some news headlines on the alerts on my phone. I subscribe to this XYZ newsletter. Um, and so I can do it myself. It's easy, which in a bull market, when the stock market goes up 30, 40, 50%, everyone feels like a winner and a hero and, and maybe investing it seems just extremely easy. So I, I'd say those are the two philosophical reasons are trust and people maybe just saying, I don't need an expert. And, and it's the same thing. Maybe I haven't met anyone that's impressed me. I've heard that before where it's like, yeah, I've talked to some financial people in the past, but they, they didn't seem to know that much or um, they didn't seem to be as experienced or successful as I would expect them to be. So I'm, I'm just going to try it myself. So, yeah, uh, I'd love for you to comment on that one. Just particularly, how much of that do you believe Chad is? So let's, and I've actually heard that, right. I just haven't met someone who was kind of like, impressed me with that. I've heard that often, especially yeah. with the entrepreneur who's like really good at building an iPhone case or a table or whatever. Right. You're like, right. hey, in my field, my fact fluency is so good. I, I, I'm looking for the same level in theirs, right? That's true. Um, do you think, uh, what is the reason for that? Do you think that it's because 
and I'm not I'm not baiting at all. Do you think it's because they don't even have a construct for what they what they expect, and so everything that part they of see, it. yeah, that could be part of it. They they don't really know what they're looking for, what they should be looking for. Also, I, I love this quote. I posted it on LinkedIn today. It's one of the dangers of life is to know just enough about a subject to think you're right, but not enough about it to know you're wrong. You know, the the number of financial gurus out there is incredible. Yeah. So every everyone's, you know, they bought Tesla stock in April and now there's suddenly Warren Buffett, I guess. But I, I would say one thing I would say about entrepreneurs on their second question is looking for a financial advisor. Why not take advice from a fiduciary financial advisor who's also an entrepreneur? Hmm. Like to me, that's just a no brainer, but it seems to be this foreign concept. Someone who's starting, growing, and founding businesses goes to someone at a bank who's an employee and has never run a business and asks them for business advice and how to run their entrepreneurial lifestyle. It's just, to me, there are plenty of great fiduciary advisors out there who are also entrepreneurs. And those are the people that entrepreneurs should go to. I'm not going to, I have five kids. I'm not going to go get parenting advice from someone who's never had kids. Yeah. I'm not going to the gym to get the trainer who's out of shape, overweight and eats junk food and fast food every day and say, Hey, how can you make me healthy? Like I want to see someone who's actually doing what I want to do. And that's who I'm going to take my advice from. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm totally tracking with you. So if I, if here's an entrepreneur that you're talking to is a business owner um, has, uh, you know, has realized that the, when I have tough years, my family struggles when I have good years, you know, we all get the new house, the new car, the great vacation, et cetera. It ebbs and flows. Uh, they're like, Hey, it's, it's time. Maybe it's the pandemic, whatever. It's time that, uh, you know, for the financial bloodline of my family, I should probably do better. Right. Um, what should kind of that process of choosing their, like, how do they go through choosing that advisor? Uh I hope you can forgive me for this, but I'm going to go back to the book since I, I wrote the it. book on this, Sharon. I love it. Uh, the One of the obstacles I put in the book, obstacle number four is biased advice from financial salespeople. Huh. So that's an obstacle I see that's a big one is that most people are out there getting biased advice from financial salespeople. And I go through literally what you should look for I mean, I give some evidence of just the craziness. I, I just used Wells Fargo as an example and gave two years worth of incredibly egregious violations against clients and customers, resulting in hundreds of millions of dollars in fines. Uh, it's just one, that's just one bank and it's just a one and a half year period. But I, I really feel that the first and primary question you should be asking when you're looking to, to work with a financial advisor is, are you a certified financial fiduciary? Because that tells you a little bit of the rules of the game. If you're working with a broker or a sales rep, that's fine, but you should at least be aware of that because there's going to, there's going to be a different arrangement as far as advice and, and compensation. So we look at uh, fiduciaries, they're, they're held to a higher standard of care they have transparency in their advice. They don't get paid from investment companies. There's no commissions. So I think just finding out the incentives behind the person giving the advice, I think to me, that really matters. 
you know, my degrees in economics. So I like to study incentives. Yeah. What are they, what, are, what's their, you know, where do they get paid? How do they make their money? I kind of want to know that before I start engaging in becoming vulnerable and spilling my entire financial life to them. So I think first and foremost, finding out that they're a fiduciary, they're independent, they're not going to be beholden to some sales quota or anything like that. Um, you want to look at, make sure they're transparent with their costs. You want to understand their process for making investment decisions. I think they should be able to demonstrate a written process. Um, certainly references matter, bring an integrity to the table, look at their reputation, their credibility. I don't, some, I don't think someone has to have 15 designations behind their name. I don't know that that's necessary. Uh, maybe that, that person's been in school their whole life, but I really like, I really like number six and number seven, number six, I put, they eat their own cooking. Okay. They take the financial advice that they recommend. They're successful and wealthy themselves. I mean, that's so basic, but I think people just ignore that. And unfortunately, when I was at Merrill Lynch, you know, I had colleagues who behind the scenes were just buried in credit card debt, 70 to 80,000 in credit card debt, upside down in a condo in not a very nice area of California, driving a really fancy car they couldn't afford and giving advice to people about how to be good with money. And to me, it was like so hypocritical. But unfortunately, that's that's a lot of the of our industry right now. You know, it's more about show and looks than it is about substance and results. Yeah, is there? Um, that's that's hard for someone to smoke out, right? Could be. Uh, I guess you need to be looking for it. You right. need to be able to to talk about it. I, I I don't have clients say, "Hey, can I see your tax returns? How much money did you make?" But I can share stories. I can say I'm a co-owner of a sports complex here in Southern California. A lot of people know that I, you know, we own a lot of sports club programs, volleyball, basketball, cheerleading. I own a real estate business out of state that has lots of rental real estate. I can demonstrate some things and share from experience that someone can know very quickly that I'm not just bluffing or saying that pretending I'm successful. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think to some extent you need to dig a little bit and learn about the background of your of your person giving you financial advice. I think you deserve to know that basically. You don't need to know their net worth exactly, but you do deserve to know something. Yeah. And and how do is there's no what's always fascinated me Chad and maybe you have an answer to this. There's no like test driving, right? Like that's the weird part. Is there so if I were to if you and I were to work together for example and so give people a peek into this. Right. How would like if, if, if you're advising me to say, Hey, when you talk to your advisor, ask for this, what would that first, uh, you know, how would you kick off that relation? Cause I also think that as a client, I gotta be forthcoming by saying, True. Hey, here's my goal. True. Here's my plan. Like, what can you do? Yep. Uh, yep. So, so how, what, what is the give and take in this relationship and how do I know if, if it's work? For, for us, the first 30 to 40 minute appointment is called the goals conversation. There's no cost. You've got to answer a few questions to give us your background before we engage. But that conversation is where we demonstrate great questioning, lots of listening. And then at the end, we'll show you actual, some of the process 
behind the hood or you know, back in the kitchen, if you will, we're going to show you some of that process of how we help our clients. And so you can get a pretty good flavor for what we're doing. And then I love the last slide in that meeting the goals conversation, because on the left side, it says, who's not a fit for Pacific Capital? And on the right side, it says, who is a great fit for Pacific Capital? And we have a list because we've decided it's better for both parties to filter out right away and no one wastes time or money testing it out, if you will, because we know who's a good fit and we know who's not a good fit. And so I think you should go in talking to an advisor and have, first of all, they should be good listeners. They should definitely not try to sell or pitch anything right away. And they should be asking lots of questions and they should also be confident enough to, to maybe tell you it's not a good fit. Like if they're desperate or hungry or kind of pushy, that's a big red flag. And I, I hear about that a lot. So uh, for us, the planning process is a one-time cost. We're going to do a lot of valuable work for you up front. People don't move their investments to us to manage for them until after they've gone through that really thorough planning process and they've gotten to know us and we've gotten to know them. So we'll have people, we had a referral from a doctor in Nevada and he was like, Hey, I've got a few million dollars. I want to invest it with you guys. And I said, well, we, we appreciate that. Uh, we want to go through the planning process first, understand your goals. And it takes a few weeks. It's a, it's a lot of work together. And he was like, I'm not really interested in that. I just kind of want to see what you guys can do with my money and how much you can grow it next year. And if you do well, there's a lot more money behind that kind of throwing the carrot out there. And I said, well, I, I, well, I really appreciate that offer. Like that's really, that's just not our process. So we're going to go through, we got to go through the planning process first. I'm not, I'm not going to recommend any pills as a doctor until I know your health background. And so we've got to go through that diagnostic together and really get to know each other and make some recommendations. So there's context. And eventually he respected that and he's become a great client. But I, I think too many people just want a quick transaction. Like, well, how much can you grow my money? What return do you guys get? Here's my money. Just grow it. And let's talk about the number percentage growth next year. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a map for success at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I think you hit on a couple of really big things, Chad. The first one was, you know, just uh you know, who, how is this person incentivized? Who is this person? Like, I think the, mm -hmm. just knowing the difference between, you know, someone in a fiduciary role um, and, and as opposed to just getting, Hey, I get paid when I sell a product, if you will, right. Right? Right. Uh, is, is just asking that question is, is really powerful. Um, and the second is the integrity to the planning process. It's just the, your next year's goals are just not going to manifest themselves when you mid-year, you're not going to look back and say, what did I achieve? Right. There's a really great quote. Uh, I kind of remind myself of, of this all the time. You're similar to your uh, Zig Ziglar quote, which is your eyes only see and your ears only hear what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't really hone in on what you're looking for, then, and your partner in this process, which is you guys can't yep, yep. synchronize with that. It's really hard to do. Um, here's my question. And, and maybe you can, uh, uh kind of elaborate on it or give, give you the psychology behind it. Why is it hard for folks specifically with regard to money and financing and, and, and their financial kind of future, but why is it hard for folks to uh, accept or, or invest in the planning time? Like I've seen even goal setting, business planning, like the, the most successful people know that that's, they tell that to their clients, but they won't do it themselves. And I don't understand that. And so, do you have any thoughts or the psychology around like why won't people invest in the planning time? 
I think going back to that progress quote, progress starts with confronting the brutal facts. I think it goes back to they maybe don't want to confront the brutal facts. You know, huh. they they maybe don't want to face reality. They think I'll face reality next year. Or maybe I can just kind of, if I just keep trying to do what I'm doing, you know, maybe it'll work out anyways. I feel like it's just an avoidance strategy, procrastinating and avoiding it and saying, hopefully it'll all work out. I'd, I'd just rather not dig into all this. And for some, it is intimidating. For some, it's just complex. They don't, you know, I we have one client where it's a couple and the husband like literally can't even sit and talk financial stuff for more than five minutes. Yeah. He's got to get up and go get a drink in the kitchen or go to the restroom. And it's like, he gets anxious about it. It stresses him out. Maybe the way he was raised, you know, maybe his parents always talked about with a scarcity mindset and money was a scary thing and we're going to run out of it. And so it's easier to hide and put your head in the sand rather than just face it and see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, my, like my, um, I want to, I want to kind of transition to the things that you love, right? The, the, this over the years, you know, both my time at Wall Street, you know, building the businesses, had gone, going through a couple of exits, my, what I was interested in started to morph. And early on, I was just like, hey, just like, I would just read books on finance. Like, I'm like, hey, I just need to know how money works. I just need to know how markets work, what's efficient, what's not, where can I get the deals? Then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I need to figure out how to do marketing and strategy because that's how you build businesses. Mm-hmm. And now, Chad, which feels really weird, like all I read about or I spend my time investing in is, is just psychology balance. Like how do yeah. I get my mind right so right. that I can do the right things? Um, there's so many facets to what you do primarily as a, you know, with, with, a, with a family, you know, multiple children as an entrepreneur taking care of your team. But also within the business, you know, there's so many facets to it. There's estate planning, there's the markets, there's investments, there's like cash flow, there's like passive incoming, all of that. Which can you talk a little bit about kind of how your interest has have evolved over time? I've always been super interested in helping people set and achieve goals. I think that's that's connecting with people and then helping them reach beyond what they believe is possible or where they would, where they're basically on track to go on their own. Like that's always been my passion. I would say I can't pinpoint one particular piece of financial planning or wealth management that I love more than others. Uh, I don't love taxes. Most of our clients don't love taxes. So I can, I can definitely put that below the, the A list, uh, but I, I love coming up with strategies that like opens new opportunities for clients and gets them a tangible benefit quicker than they could have imagined. Like that's what I really love to do. And it's exciting to us when I can say, Hey, guess what? We just found an idea or we got a, we figured out a way to change how you're taking your income and reduce the taxes. You owe. it's going to put an extra X, Y, Z in your pocket every month. Like, Delivering great news to clients is really what what I love to do and helping them design their futures. Yeah. Clarify their goals, design their futures, narrow it down and put them on track to, to get there. Yeah. Um, with some with the 
limited time that we have, you know, do you, by the way, you know, I'm, uh, we haven't had a chance to chat a lot. You've got this, um, like midnight DJ voice that is like <laughs> so calming, right? Like That's I, funny. yeah, I talked to you about money, like in three minutes after I met you, like it's, it's, you got, it just, it's a gift, man. So it's a good on, Thank good you. on you. And I hope, I hope, uh, the person listening can a, feel, feel that way too. It's a calm demeanor. That's what people have said. And it, when it, when it's, in the trenches and the storm is going crazy. I'm not going to change. I don't get too high in the high, not too low in the lows. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, let, I, I want to run a couple of maybe maybe you can share a couple of tactical ideas. I know financial advice is not generic, but mm-hmm. um, you know there is the you know there is the entrepreneur listening right now. Chad, come on, man! Like, give me, like, give me something. Give me, give me an idea or something like that. Um, I know that you've and you don't have to go into like the ultra specifics, but. Uh, I bet you have created several, uh, I, I want to kind of narrow it down. I bet you've created several passive income-based ideas and, and passive is interesting, call it leveraged income-based ideas for folks. Um, could you maybe broadly talk through just just strategies that have that have worked recently? Hey, I've, we tried this, that's worked for clients. We've tried that, that's been helpful in the right situation. Anything that uh, has worked recently that you that you like for clients that should be on entrepreneurs' radars? think entrepreneurs need to have the contrarian outlook. I've always been very contrarian. So um, I started really investing heavily in real estate in 2009, back when housing prices had just dropped significantly and people were going nuts over it. So I think the unemotional, aggressive approach to investing when things are scary in a particular area, I, that's something that we, we've done. I mean, in March, if you go back to my newsletters and my LinkedIn posts, uh, we did exactly everything that I was telling people to do back then. I, I wasn't giving specific advice to people I didn't know on LinkedIn and, and newsletters, but I was saying, this is a time that the markets went down 40% in 30 days, sharpest drop ever. And I said, at the very least, don't sell your equity investments, but at the very best, buy as much as you can, because these opportunities are not common. And this is not a global, um, this is not a recession that's caused by bad fundamentals or overborrowing from the banks. It's, this, is, this is legit a health pandemic and the markets will recover eventually unless the world ends and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'd say the world, the world is ends only once and I don't believe today's the day yet. So let's keep investing. And we, we made changes in the portfolios for our clients during March and April, where you, we looked at bond prices that were extremely inflated because the whole world was scared and investing money into us bonds for safety. And so we were selling our, bond investments for major premiums and investing in the stock market for clients across the board. And some of them were very nervous, you know, and especially newer clients who I hadn't dealt with for many years. They're like, are you sure? Like what? I'm not really sure this could last so long. And, and it could. And I said, it, it definitely can, but we're looking at bargains that we feel are going to be great long-term investments. And eventually this will recover. Usually the snapback, mirrors the drop. And so entrepreneurs need to be looking at things unemotionally and saying, 
what is really undervalued temporarily that will eventually come back. And that's what we did with our client portfolios. And now we're in December 8th, 2020. And those investment changes that we made, made a massive difference on the growth that our clients have had over the last eight or nine months. Yeah. I, I think you used one word there, which was the unemotional word. And I, I think that's, that is probably a primary reason to, to, you know, have a financial partner, right? Like there, it's, right. I, it, come on, it's, it's too hard. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just too hard. There's, there's human really, nature, human yeah. nature. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'll ask you this one last thing, Chad, how, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, folks always talk about, you know, um, not saving for a rainy day, but but um, having dry powder for opportunities. Uh, good question. Good um, question. How, how do you think about that? How do you help clients structure that? What's your philosophy around that? My philosophy is, uh, well, this is timestamp this for 2020. Dry powder is worthless. Uh, dry powder is is zero percent. It's losing money. So for our clients, like we invest at Charles Schwab. Schwab is the company that is our custody firm. It's where it holds the money for our clients that we're advising. And we essentially have clients who take advantage of the extremely cheap margin rates on their portfolio when they see opportunities. So there's no reason to leave money uninvested for long periods of time, just for the chance of potentially seeing a good investment opportunity. So we just had a client wire out this morning, I think 1.2 million to buy a bunch of uh, real estate projects. Uh, he's going in with a few partners somewhere in Orange County and he does it all the time. You know, he sees opportunities, borrows currently timestamp this, but the rates that we're getting are 2%, 1%, 1.5%, 2 2.2%. I mean, no closing costs, no fees, money's available right away. And to me, that's much wiser than having a million dollars sitting at the bank earning 0.0%. So the client's money is always invested. And yes, leverage definitely comes with risks. And I have to give that caveat. So I would, I would only advise this if I was personally advising you, but I'm just saying that dry powder is a problem. I see business owners come in, they've got millions at the bank. It's been sitting there for years because they thought, well, I might need it and there might be an opportunity that I don't want to miss out. But having liquidity in your investments and also having the ability to borrow if needed should give you the confidence to go forward and be an investor. Because if you missed out on the last eight months or you missed out on the last four years, I mean, you've missed out. That's a lot, a lot of compounding growth that just happened. Yeah, yeah. Um you've done, you know, you've taken your, your, you know, uh, two decades of experience. You put this down in the book, uh, stress-free money. I'd love for you to maybe just, uh, you've referenced a couple of times today, which is, which, which I love because not only it's your body of work, both in written form as well, as well as what you give for advice. I'd love for, uh, you know, just, just a a quick high level to folks. Uh, everyone should go get stress-free money because just going through the obstacles will probably click something for them. Um, any, any quick kind of thoughts around why you wrote it and what someone should expect reading it? It's a quick, it's a quick read. It's not full of jargon. It's supposed to be simple. So I have lots of real insights and stories. I've changed the names, but these are all real stories. It's 143 pages. It's less than three hours on the audible. So what you can get out of it is some real practical advice. That's going to make you rethink 
how you use money in your life and, and how you can get a lot closer to financial freedom. Because I believe stress-free money is possible for anyone, regardless of where you're starting. You don't have to have $50 million to have stress-free money. I mean, it's, it's possible for anyone. And really it's about the way you think about money, the psychology behind it, how you make your decisions, what you would focus on, what you ignore, having a plan, um, avoiding high fees and biased advice. There's a lot of things in there that I, that I kind of go behind the scenes a little bit in our industry. And I think that's going to be very interesting for your, for your listeners to read. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Chad, I, I, it's been, it's been super fun uh, to chat with you. Uh, w- you talked about sharing some thoughts on LinkedIn. You talked about mm-hmm. this newsletter, where can folks kind of plug into more of your thinking uh, and more of what Pacific Capital does? What's the best way for folks to get more of you? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, PacificCapital.com, for sure. You can schedule a goals conversation with us there. Uh, or you can also subscribe to our newsletter there. And then LinkedIn, follow me. I've got about probably 30, 31,000 followers, and I'm very active there. So um, I, I post a lot of different things on there, a lot of financial insights. So those are the two best ways. And then the, the book, Stress-Free Money, of course, is on Amazon. So Awesome. Hey, uh, it, you are... You've done, you've done, uh, you, you walk the walk, my friend. Uh, in in addition you. to the late night, midnight DJ voice, you also have <laughs> the, uh, you also are the entrepreneur's advisor and you've done what you're sharing. You've been in the trenches. You've taken the risk. You've built stress-free money for yourself and you're sharing with others. So mostly can't thank you enough for being on, for dropping, dropping the gems and uh, uh, everyone should go get stress-free money and at least follow you on LinkedIn so they can get uh, more of you. So Chad, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com dot com.